Now, January 6th, views from the House. We recently asked 14 members of Congress to share their firsthand stories of what they saw, heard, and experienced on January 6th, 2021, when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. This week, we hear from Representatives Jim McGovern of Massachusetts and Susan Wild of Minnesota. But first, former Vice President Mike Pence, who was presiding over the joint session that day. Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for President and Vice President of the United States. At 1 p.m. on January 6th, the House and Senate met in joint session to count the electoral votes of the 2020 presidential election. An hour later, a mob entered the Capitol with the intention of disrupting the vote. As the protesters moved closer to the Senate and House chambers, Vice President Pence and Speaker Pelosi were evacuated to safe locations. Minutes later, security officials ushered House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and other congressional leadership off the House floor. With tension rising in the building, the House and Senate abruptly recessed. Without objection, the House is going to go back into recess. There were a few dozen members of Congress in the House chamber at that time, including Representatives Jim McGovern and Susan Wild. Massachusetts Democrat Jim McGovern is the Rules Committee chair and took over for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi when officials learned protesters had breached the Capitol. He tells us about his unique vantage point of the day's events from the front of the House chamber. So I was there, and then um, I received a... Um, then then uh, Nancy Pelosi's... Uh, One of her aides, Keith Stern, came up to me and uh, said, look, would you be willing to uh, step in for the speaker in the chair uh, if she's called away briefly? And I said, sure. And I've done that a million times before. I'm sitting there and my daughter, my daughter Molly is is texting me, you know, like, where are you? Uh, And I said to her, I'm in the chamber. Uh, She said, well, they, they closed down the Cannon building, which is where my office building is. I said, well, you know, they do that all the time for various reasons, but I'm, I'm in the chamber. And she said, well, why are you there? I said, because I'm observing the uh, certification of the Electoral College results. I mean, this is our constitutional responsibility. And she said, well, you know, uh, and, and so I wasn't quite sure why I was getting these, uh, these texts from her, uh, but she was watching TV and I was in the chamber. And so then Keith Stern came up to me and said, would you, would you take over? briefly because Pelosi was being called away. I said, I still had no idea what was happening. And, you know, I went up to the speaker's chair and, you know, past Pelosi. She said, thank you very much. I think she said, I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. Uh, she left her phone there. And so I began to then, you know, take over the proceed uh, overseeing the house. And, um, and, and then, um, you know, I began to hear noises and um, quite wasn't sure quite what it was. And I, and I was told that I should adjourn the house, uh, which I did. Uh, I, 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 I recessed the house. I didn't adjourn. I, re, I, 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 I went, into, we went into recess. Without objection, the chair declares the house in recess pursuant to Clause 12B of Rule 1.
And again, I saw another text from my daughter, like, what, what do you, why are you, where are you now? I said, I'm in the chair, speaker's chair. She says, well, I know you are, but why are you there? And I, I think I may have texted her back like, you know, crazy or whatever. I, don't, I didn't know what she was talking about. And so then I was anxious to get this proceeding going. And I asked whether I, you know, can we, you know, uh, you know, bring the house back in the session, which I did. So I brought the house back into session and I yielded to, uh, I think it was Paul Gosar, who was one of the people challenging the results in Arizona to, so he could finish his, um, his speech. Um, I remember it because listening to him was like fingernails on a chalkboard. And um, so I, he finished his statement and then I was told that I needed to adjourn the house again. And so that's when I adjourned the house. And meanwhile, I, again, the voices that I heard from outside the chamber just seemed to get louder and louder. I had no idea how many people had uh, entered the Capitol. I, I just thought that maybe this was like two or three people that you know, get, get past the security and we're just screaming in the halls of the Capitol. And, um, you know, cause if you scream in the Capitol, it's a cavernous building and it echoes. And so it sounds like there are more people, uh, you know, than there might be. And, um, but when we adjourn, when, when I find, when I adjourn, when I, when I recess the second time, um, you know, I was told by one of the security people that, uh, we needed to evacuate the chamber because it was no longer safe for people to be there. And, um, and so again, it still didn't register to me the extent of the problem outside the chamber. Uh, I began to hear banging on the doors outside the chamber. I tell everybody that we're going to, you know, um, evacuate. And I explained how we were going to, uh, leave the um, leave the chamber. Uh, we people were gonna, we, we were going to exit on the Republican side of the uh, floor into the speaker's lobby, and then follow the, you know the advice of the Capitol Police to get us to where, uh, a safe location. Representative Jim McGovern, Democrat of Massachusetts. Now, how did you know to say that? So, is, who is communicating with you right now? So a combination, those instructions. so a combination of Capitol Police and people in the Sergeant at Arms office um, were there. And but be, before we were doing that, th then they made an announcement that people should take their gas masks with them, which are located under the chairs of, uh, you know, in the in the in the um, in the chamber, um, the new um, uh, house chaplain. Uh, this was her first, like her, I think maybe her first day, um, you know, uh, asked if she could say a prayer, which I got everybody's attention and said, you know, we're going to we're gonna listen to the, uh, the the new house chaplain. And she gave a, you know, I, I don't remember all that she said, uh, but I just thought it was somewhat, I don't know, just surreal that, you know, here we are at this moment, still not knowing the extent of uh, the problem outside the chamber.
Meanwhile, I saw, uh, I think, members of the Capitol Police um, uh, and Sergeant Arms Office putting chairs against the, the doors um, leading onto the House floor. And again, I made the noises were getting louder and louder, and, um, and people were beginning to um, evacuate uh, slowly. Uh, but I just, I, I, I remained in the chair throughout this whole thing as people, you know, began to walk out um, and um, and again, still getting texts from my daughter, like, you know, why are you there? And I'm like, and I still, it, it never, it did still didn't register to me the extent of what was going on. And I, and I said, well, we're going to, we're going to adjourn briefly and, you know, then we'll come back. And, um, and then I noticed there were people up in the um, balcony and in the, in the gallery and um, I noticed that my Democratic colleagues, you know, ha had to make their way all the way across. I was told they were going to exit from the on the Republican side. And if anyone's ever been in the gallery before, I mean, it's really narrow and the, it's really hard to move around under the best of circumstances. And I was assured that they were being taken care of, that there was a plan to get them out. And so... Um, you know, I, wait, I waited until everybody had left. And, um, and then I walked out into the speaker's lobby. And there was a little bit of a bottleneck. I mean, a lot of people were still trying to work their way through this narrow doorway to work their way to the stair, uh, down, down the stairway, down the stairwell. And uh, when I walked out, I turned, you know, the, in, in the speaker's lobby, uh, the top half of the doors are glass. And I turned to the opposite end of where we were exiting. And I finally realized what was happening. I mean, there were, there was a huge crowd uh, out there. There were, uh, the doors were barricaded from the inside. There were Capitol police and other security in the, inside the speaker's lobby. But I remember seeing, if I remember correctly, three, Capitol Police officers standing in between the crowd and the door. And these people, um, the, 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 the rioters, or the, you know, um, were banging on the glass door. And I, I just looked at their faces and the, the, the hate and the anger in their eyes was, was terrifying. And somebody hit the glass hard enough where it cracked. And I couldn't believe it. Like, how can this be happening? Um, you know, and I remember turning to somebody that was standing next to me. Again, I had 
Keith Stern, who worked for Nancy Pelosi and um, who used to work for me many years ago, and Don Sisson, who was the staff director of the Rules Committee, were the closest to me. I remember turning to them. I said, I, these people aren't here to make a political statement. They're not here to hand me a leaflet. I think they're here to hurt us. Uh, and they're destroying the Capitol. And, um, and, it, and I just sat there. I, mean, I stood there. Uh, it seemed like forever, but it really wasn't. But in just disbelief and with great sadness. I mean, I... I've spent a, a lot, a lot, an awful lot, lot of my life in this building. I, I, my, I, when I was in college, I was an intern for Senator George McGovern of South Dakota. Um, then I, I went to work for Congressman Joe Moakley of Boston. And then I got elected myself in 1996. I met my wife, Lisa, here on, in the Capitol. Um, and so I just, I was angry and sad to watch them destroy this building. Uh, Congressman, and, were you scared at that point for your own I, life? You know, you know what, I would, it, it's, I'm not a particularly brave guy, but I'm just saying I was, it was, the emotion I had wasn't one of being scared, it was one of just being sad and angry. I mean, I came very close to giving these people the middle finger, because um, that's how angry I was. And um, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't, because I, I don't think I appreciated all the different cameras that were on at the time. And I'm sure the right wing would be accusing me of inciting the riot if I, if I, if I did that, but I just, that's how angry I was. I couldn't believe it. Were you there when uh, the uh, law enforcement officer shot the woman through those doors? So I had, I had just left when that had happened. Um, we had just uh, cleared the speaker's, lobby at the time when that had happened. People asked me, did you hear the the gunshot? I, I may have, I, I, but I was hearing yelling and, you know, go this way, go that way. And the commotion of people trying to work their way down the stairs. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't remember what I, what I heard. I, I just remember as we were working our way to the basement and then ultimately to a safe location, I, I just was trying to, in my own, mind i was i kept on saying did i just see what i saw i mean it was this real and i was trying to i mean I, I you know i was trying to remember um how many people and 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 you know you know and and just and just the position of everybody and and you know and it wasn't until you know i, I was able to see a video i think the washington post published a video that it reconfirmed everything that i you know, thought I saw. Um, and, um, but I, you know, like I said, I, I looked into their eyes, uh, you know, and if you were to describe, if, I, if you would ask me to describe what evil looked like, I would tell you, you know, looking into their eyes, that's what it looked like. I mean, they, they people seem crazed. And, um, you know, and I think back, and wonder what they would have done if they had gotten a hold of a member of Congress or a staff person or or anybody uh, for that matter. I saw what they did to the Capitol Hill police officers and to, and to um, and I and I just I don't know what they would have done. 
we walked down several flights of stairs into a, into the tunnel and then on our way to uh, you know the the place they brought us. Representative Jim McGovern, Democrat of Massachusetts. When is it that you finally text your daughter to say, I'm sick and acknowledge what she had been seeing? Um, I, when I, when I, when I get, when we arrived at the safe location, I, I looked at my phone and I, I had like 80 texts. I mean, I mean, my daughter, my son, my wife, uh, my mother, um, people I went to high school with that I didn't even know had my phone. Um, you know, I was getting all kinds of messages, but when I, as soon as I get, I get back, I, I, uh, as soon as we, I get to the, our safe location, I called my daughter and, uh, and, um, my wife and my son and let them know, and my mother, <laughs> let them all know I'm fine, you know, and they had, you know, they didn't see, you know, us leave. They didn't, they didn't I mean, they didn't see what I saw, but they saw the crowd outside the Capitol. So they just, they didn't know where I was, uh, my daughter did. And that, and that's when my daughter was very alarmed because uh, she knew that I was in, in the, um, in the chair. And I think she just assumed that I knew all she knew. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, again, it wasn't until I walked into the speaker's lobby that I realized that there was a huge crowd. That had... Did she, did she and your wife, your, your family, did they, did they communicate to, with you how scared they were? What did they tell you? Yeah, they did. Um, um, yeah, I mean, they they were afraid. I mean, obviously, they were afraid that some harm would come to me. Um, and, um, you know, and I, you know, and, and if the roles were reversed and now, now having seen all the footage that I have seen and if it were my wife or daughter or son that were, you know, in, in the Capitol, I would have I would have felt the same way. I mean, I it was. I mean, this was violence and, you know, people walking around with Confederate flags and um, and uh, zip ties and, you know, um, you know, and the attacks on the on the Capitol Police. I mean, they 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 were watching this in real time and realizing how violent uh, it all was. So they were worried. Yeah, they were worried. And I and I felt bad that they were worried because I, I, I don't. You know, no. I mean, I don't want them to have to think about those kinds of things. I mean, uh, and so, uh, you know, and my daughter, you know, is very, is especially protective of me, um, and so she was, you know, she was the one who was texting me, you know, constantly. Um, where are you now? You know, and you know, my son Patrick called. He was in Boston, and I was like, you know. I'm fine. And he's like, okay, good. I just want to make sure I was safe. And I talked to my mother and she's like, what the hell is going on? I mean, I can't believe this. I just, it's crazy, but we're, we're all, we're all, we're all set. And even when we got to our, our secure location, I still, there was no, there were no TVs there. Um, so I, I still had no idea the enormity of the breach. And, um, and it was, Sometime later that I, I, I even came to realize, you know, that they had already been in the Capitol for a while over on the Senate side before they made it to the House side. So it was like, 
none of this, none of this, I, I, I knew, and I don't think anybody else really knew um, who, was, who was in that chamber. After you leave the secure location, what did you do next? So we were there for several hours. Um, and, um, you know, and one of the things that I communicated to our leadership, um, and I talked about with my other colleagues that were in that room, was that we need to go back. I mean, we, we have to finish this, right? And we need to finish it in the chamber. That, you know, if we were to convene at another location to do this, I mean, it, 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 it would look terrible. And was there discussion of convening at another location? No, well, there, there, was, there, was, there were, there were, there were, I, I, I don't want to say this, people were, 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 were thinking out loud about, you know, what we, we could do next. And somebody had suggested, it wasn't in our leadership, but um, it may have been somebody um, in the Sergeant at Arms office who said, well, you know, but we, we'll have to figure out where the best place to do this is. And I'm like, no, we have to go back. We have to go back. And I couldn't, you know, and we, and we were not getting a lot of, clear and direct information while we were in that room so like my like can i go back to my office you know no why not well we don't we don't think it's secure yet well can i go to my canada i have an office in the capitol i have one in the in the uh, in the canada building can i go back to the Canada? no we don't we, we don't think the building is clear yet well were there people in the canada we we don't know well and and i get it they because there was a lot going on but for, for us who were sitting there like trying to figure out that when can we leave um, uh, you know, and, uh, and when do you think we'll go back into, into session? And so it just, it was kind of maddening to be there because we were all kind of cooped up. Some of my colleagues, unfortunately, were not wearing their masks, which was, you know, I think, you know, a, a horrible thing to do to their colleagues, but nonetheless, uh, in the middle of this COVID crisis, but, um, but, you know, I think most of the, of the members of Congress that were in that room, you know, were basically spending that, their time trying to get information, trying to touch base with their family, friends, you know, their staff. Uh, and one of the things about that day, which I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for in retrospect, was that I think we all knew that not that anybody would breach the Capitol, but that there was going to be a protest outside, potentially outside the Capitol. So most of us told our staffs to stay home. Uh, so the, the presence up on the Hill was probably much diminished than under a normal day, you know? Um, and so, uh, uh, so most of my staff were at home. So you, after you are let out of this secure location, do you go back into the chamber, and what did you see when you go when you went back in? We went back into the uh, we, we went back into the chamber, and um, and we began the you know the deliberation again on you know moving you know to fulfill our constitutional responsibility. I went up to check my rules office uh, on the third floor of the Capitol, make sure that hadn't been damaged, and they they didn't get into that office, thankfully. But I walked around other parts of the Capitol and I, you know, I just saw broken glass and debris and um, I think I smelled smoke. I don't know what it was, but, you know, maybe it was remnants of whatever they were spraying, but I just, 
I mean, I, I when I, you know, as I when I walked into that chamber, I, what I had seen on my walk over there was that this building had been attacked, um, and it had been severely damaged. There was glass almost everywhere, and again, um, my some of my other colleagues had to see that too. That is why I thought after this terrible, terrible incident that everybody would come together and just say, you know, it's time to put politics and it's time to put conspiracy theories in the rear view window and let's come together as one for the good of the country. And that didn't happen. Another Democrat in the chamber that day was Pennsylvanian Susan Wild, who said she anticipated January 6th would be a long day even before it unfolded. I, of course, am a member of the Pennsylvania delegation. And so that morning, and we fully anticipated that um, eight of the nine Republican members from Pennsylvania were going to be objecting to the certification of the Pennsylvania electors. And so early that morning, I was on a Zoom call with my fellow Democratic members of the Pennsylvania delegation We were just talking about what we were each going to talk about on the House floor and kind of preparing our remarks and that kind of thing, knowing that it was going to be a very long day, um, fully anticipating that we would be there at least until midnight, if not after. And that was before any of us knew about an insurrection. Um, So after we did that, I I left for the Capitol. I, I got to my office sometime around 12, knowing that Um, proceedings were going to start about one o'clock on the House floor. I had prearranged that I would be seated up in the gallery, um, which of course, for anybody who doesn't know, is sort of where you have the bird's eye view of the House floor peering over onto the House floor. And because I wasn't scheduled to speak until considerably later in the day, and because of COVID and social distancing, I planned to be seated up in the gallery along with a number of my colleagues who were in the same situation. And so I got over to the uh, gallery just about one o'clock and I hadn't noticed much of anything up until that point. We had been given a memo ahead of time, not terribly detailed, mostly instructing us about where where to park, recommendations from the Sergeant of Arms that we park underground as opposed to you know, above ground. I hadn't seen any protesters or anything on my way on my short trip to the Capitol. Um, (laughs) But um, it it is a short trip. So I wasn't surprised by that. So as I got over to the gallery, um, and by the way, the gallery is not a place that I'm terribly familiar with, because it's normally reserved for visitors. Um, Normally, I would be down on the House floor. So I think I had been up there once or twice before, and that's it. And so when I got up there, we had to go through security. I remember thinking that that it didn't seem terribly stringent, but I was surrounded by only members of Congress. Um, so I didn't really think about it very much. I got into the House Gallery, and for whatever reason, I remember we didn't have exact seat, seats assigned. We had sections that we had to sit within. And I remember taking a seat where I felt like I could hide if I needed to, um, which in retrospect is interesting. So clearly I had some trepidation, but but I don't remember thinking about violence or anything else, to tell you the truth, except that I do remember taking that particular seat for, with great deliberation. And um, 
the proceedings started, there were a few speakers. I remember that uh, Lauren Boebert spoke um, on the House floor. A number of us in the gallery were exchanging looks because we frankly didn't even understand a lot of what she was saying. Um, and it was kind of an odd um, speech, which specifically mentioned that she had constituents outside, which we all thought was a little bit odd. Madam Speaker, I have constituents outside this building right now. I promised my voters to be their voice. In this branch of government, which I now serve, it is my separate but equal obligation to weigh in on this election and object. Um, and then I don't remember who the next speaker was. It would have been somebody on the Democratic side. But then I remember Paul Goser from um, Arizona started speaking and it was then that activity started and I started to get a series of texts as did other members um, from the Capitol Police not a terribly unusual okay, uh, thing to happen we get texts from the Capitol Police a lot and it can be anything ranging from an unlocked door to a fire alarm going off to a suspicious package so simply that getting those texts didn't mean much of anything but Pretty quickly, um, they accelerated from there are a large number of protests on the Capitol grounds to there are um, protesters attempting to enter. I'm, I'm not giving you the exact wording, but the sequence was uh, the next was um, there are protesters trying to enter the Capitol. And then I believe the next one was that um, protesters have penetrated the Capitol. Or, or breach the perimeter, I think was the phraseology. That caused me a lot of concern. Um, and I started getting pretty stressed out, but I was looking around and I didn't see a whole lot of stress on the faces of other members. Um, we were all watching our phones, but we were also half paying attention to what was happening on the House floor. And then very soon thereafter, I met, actually it's taking longer for me to say it than it actually was in real time, um, there was some commotion down on the House floor, which, of course, we could see looking down from the gallery. Um, we saw that Speaker Pelosi was taken off the dais and removed from the chamber. And then Steny Hoyer was as well. Jim McGovern got up on the dais and was trying to continue to conduct business. Um, floor, the floor leader was, um, was saying that we should all just stay calm, stay in our seats, uh, by then, that was sort of wishful thinking. Um, and nobody was really paying much attention, but we were pay not paying much attention to what was being said on the House floor. And um, pretty soon thereafter, the, one of the floor staff took over the microphone and directed everybody to look beneath their seats and locate the gas masks that are underneath every seat. And with that, things got a little panicky. Um, first of all, most of us didn't know there were gas masks under our seats. Um, secondly, just the call to, to have them available um, was unnerving. And then almost immediately after that, we saw a big rush of members leaving the House floor down below, starting on the Republican side, what I call the, there's no such thing really as a Republican side, but there is, and it's a practical matter. And so we saw a big rush of people leaving out of the doors over on the Republican side and Democrats were following from the Democratic side over to the Republican side and exiting out that way. Um, at the time, it didn't occur to me, why are they only exiting out of that door? As most people know, the House chamber has 
a whole lot of doors, but everybody seemed to be exiting that way. I later realized that the threat was coming from just off the speaker's lobby, which is more on the Democratic side, and that that's where most of the commotion was happening. At that point, the gallery doors had been barricaded. We're looking down on the House floor. People have all exited the House floor. And I remember Diana DeGette leaning over the gallery railing and saying, hey, what about us? And there was this sense that we didn't know how we were going to get out of there. For one thing, all of the doors on our side had been barricaded. We didn't want to go out that way because we didn't know what was on the other side of the doors. And we started getting instructions that were kind of conflicting, but the thrust of the instructions were to go around the perimeter of the gallery to the far side, which again is what I would call the Republican side of the gallery. Representative Susan Wild, Democrat of Pennsylvania. And because there was one open door over there, which was clear, you know, if you picture a football field, we're on one end of the football field and we have to go all the way around the perimeter to the other end. And so, um, and the problem was that to get there, we, for those who know the gallery, it's a very tight space. The seats, as I say, are like the most crowded movie theater you've ever been in with handrails every several, several rows of seats. And you had to go either under or over the handrail to make progress. Plus, a lot of us were carrying purses and backpacks, and we were instructed to take our gas masks with us. So there was a lot going on in that p- space and time. And we didn't, there was just really a lot of confusion and fear. Some people were trying to put their gas mask on. I actually tried it for a while to do that, but you couldn't, you couldn't really see through it well enough to, um, to navigate that space. So I took mine off and we got about halfway around the perimeter and all of a sudden we started to hear huge commotion. And by the way, I was mostly crawling kind of half crouching, half crawling. Most people were because of these railings that we had to get under. So it wasn't at that point, we weren't crouching because of a threat. We were just crouching because you knew that every few steps you were going to have to crawl under these hand railing. So at some point around the time that I lost a shoe, um, it slipped off my foot. um, We started to hear a whole lot of commotion. And at that point, when I lost my shoe, I was right under the clock that is directly across from the dais that um, where the speaker stands. And the only reason I know that is because I've reconstructed it for myself, but I knew that I was roughly there and later realized that's exactly where I was. And at that point, just about the time when I lost my shoe, I started to hear all kinds of commotion from down below, breaking glass, huge pounding on these big, heavy wooden doors, like a hand would not be enough to make that much noise through those thick doors. So, you know, we knew that that to be an intruder or intruders. And then there was a lot of shouting going on. And the problem was it was chaotic. So we didn't really know whether we were hearing shouting from police officers or law enforcement or from the insurrectionists as they turned out to be. So um, that just made a bad scene even worse. And then almost immediately thereafter, we started hearing gunshots, not a lot, but a few enough to really be scary. 
So at that point, we had just about come around that the turn to the last section before the open door. And people started pulling out their phones and calling their loved ones. I was directly behind Terry Sewell. Um, she, I remember her pulling out her phone and calling her mother. Um, she also made another phone call. I'm not sure to whom, but I knew she was calling her mother because she said, hi, mama. Um, and behind me was Jason Crow, and he was calling his wife. And the thought occurred to me, I really need to call my kids. I have two adult kids in their mid to late 20s. And I really hesitated because I guess in my naivete, I thought they might not know what was going on. And I really didn't want to alarm them. I've got a very, very close relationship to my children. And I was, I was afraid of alarming them. Although I had texted early on when the Capitol police were starting to text us, I had told my family in a group that thread what was going on. But then of course that stopped as soon as we started our egress from the gallery. So in a crouch down on my hands and knees position, I texted my son and said, set up a FaceTime. Although they say that I FaceTimed them, my two kids. I don't remember that. And quite honestly, I'd be surprised that that happened because I didn't think I was that proficient with FaceTime. Um, but um, that's what they say happened. I thought I asked them to set up the FaceTime. Be that as it may, I was on, the, on FaceTime with both of my kids, trying to reassure them as mothers or fathers are want to do. Um, you never want to cause your kids any worry. And I, I remember saying, everything's okay. And my son said, how can you say everything's okay? We can hear breaking glass and gunshots and screaming. And I guess I didn't realize until then that how much they could hear. And so, you know, we said our I love yous. I told them that I thought we were going to get out soon. I didn't tell them what had just happened right about the time, right before I took out my phone to call them. Um, they had barricaded that last door that was open in the gallery. And at that point, my estimate is 25 people might have been left um, up in the gallery, and including some press. And um, they barricaded that door and said, we can't let you evacuate right now. There's a new disturbance. And that really made us panicky because we had seen our colleagues from the gallery go ahead and exit. We were all looking forward to getting out of that space. And then all of a sudden they barricaded that door. And it was during that period of time that we were calling our families and that kind of thing. I honestly don't remember how long we were in that situation between the time they barricaded the door and the time we finally got out. Um, Jason Crow has told me it was somewhere like 20 minutes. It could have been two hours. It could have been five minutes that I had no sense of time whatsoever. Um, but I remember when I got off the phone with my kids that I felt as though my heart was pounding out of my chest and I felt I actually was very worried that I was having a heart attack. I've never had a heart attack, but I do have, my father had heart attacks as, you know, we've got a family history. So I was actually kind of worried about, I was very worried about that. And I must've put my hand up to my chest because that photograph of me that was taken shows me lying almost on my back with my hand up to my chest. I don't remember lying on my back, um, but I do remember Jason taking my hand and just stroking it and kind of comforting me and telling me I was going to be okay and being a little bit perplexed that he was reassuring me because I didn't realize that I was showing how upset I was. 
I mean, I remember thinking, how does he know how stressed out I am? But I, obviously it was visible to him. And then I composed myself and it became clear that we were going to be able to exit pretty soon. And Jason yelled out to all of us, take your pins off, meaning our congressional pins, which none of the rest of us, like most of the women, I was wearing mine on my necklace as I am now, took it off, put it in a pocket. And then we proceeded to crouch and leave the gallery through that open door and go through the hallways to back stairwells that I never knew existed and down multiple flights of stairs until we finally got to the safe room. And um, that, that was kind of the journey. And in the process, as we were walking slash running to the safe room, I forgot to call my kids to tell them that I was out of the gallery. It wasn't until we got in the safe room and my, I sat down and my phone started vibrating and it was my son saying, Hey, where are you? Are you okay? And I later learned that they had been watching the whole thing on television and knew a lot more than I did about what was going on. Pennsylvania Democrat, Susan Wild. When you were able to tell them I'm safe, what were you thinking? I didn't feel safe yet. We were in that safe room, but we had no idea. At at that point, we knew more about what had been happening outside, although we still had not really seen much. It was only whatever we could pull up on our phones, look at on Twitter, whatever. And so I actually was very worried the whole time we were in that safe room because there was a very large number of members of Congress from both sides of the aisle. Lots of leadership in there, not not. Pelosi or Hoyer, although uh, the speaker came down later and talked to us. But I remember thinking that we were kind of sitting ducks in that room all together. And that if somehow um, whoever these people were managed to penetrate the police, that we could be in big trouble. And of course, you know, gun violence is a thing in this country. So you can't help but think about a huge number of people in positions of leadership, being in a room all together. It it was, it was a nightmare at first. Then it just, as we were there for hours, it became tedious, quite honestly, there was no water, no food. Um, I did, I was fortunate enough to have a water bottle along the way. I had decided to um, leave my backpack behind because it was getting in my way. And Jason Crow, being the hero that he was to me that day, picked up my backpack, unbeknownst to me, and carried it down to the safe room and brought it to me and also found my shoe. So Jason was, in all respects, a hero that day. Um, But I fortunately had a big bottle of water, nice cold water. I'll never forget that in my backpack. And I was very glad to because people were complaining about the lack of water. And then somebody started passing out Skittles. They found a box of Skittles and a box of goldfish. Somewhere in there, my, you know, I did talk to both of my kids, told them that I was okay, that I was in this room, didn't talk about my fears of being in that room. Um, And I think they felt reassured. And then we started, I started getting phone calls from press. A lot of press have my cell phone numbers, especially my local press back in my district. I was getting all kinds of calls. And I remember um, Hakeem Jeffries, or maybe it was Liz Cheney, because they were both addressing the room. One of them, I think it was Liz, actually stood up and said, somebody has revealed the location of this safe room. Don't do that. You know, because everybody by this time was starting to take phone calls from media and that kind of thing. 
Um, and then shortly thereafter, I remember Hakeem saying, okay, we're going to wait for them to clear the Capitol. And then we're going to go back and finish our business on the house floor. And when he first said that, it just struck me that I couldn't believe we were going back to that house floor because when I left it, you know, there was glass shattering and gunshots and, but I realized pretty quickly why we needed to go back and get the job done. But it, it was a little traumatic when he first said it, because the last thing I wanted to do was go back there. And um, I was, I just stayed from that point on, I stayed in constant contact with my kids in between doing press calls and that kind of thing. And, and what? visiting with my colleagues, you know, I remember standing near Mad Dean and Mondaire Jones um, and you know, I was next to the two of them much of the time, not the whole time, but a lot of the time, and just comparing notes and checking in with each other. When did you first see the photograph of you in the gallery and Jason comforting you? And then when did you first talk to him about that moment? So while I was still in the safe room, my son texted on our family thread. We, like many families, we have a family group thread and texted me a p- copy of the picture and said, mom, I think you should see this before somebody like brings it to your attention. And I just remember looking at it and, and being horrified thinking, I can't believe that this picture was taken or that I was in this situation it seemed really surreal. And as I said, I, I didn't remember ever being on my back. So I kept looking at it thinking, I don't remember being in this position. Um, and then, um, so that's when I first saw it. And then it started, I guess it started to go viral pretty quickly because I had colleagues coming over and showing it to me on their phones. Did you see this? Did you see that? And then I talked to Jason for a little while in that room, but he and I didn't really connect until the following day. We were doing a press interview with one of the cable networks early the next morning. And um, I I think it was arranged through our staff. I have a car in Washington. He doesn't. So I went and picked him up and we headed over to the, to the, um, to Cannon, where they do those press hits in the rotunda. Um, and so we talked a lot then. What was that? Uh, what was the car conversation like? You know, we were all just still sort of reeling from how unbelievable it was. It was mostly disbelief combined with sort of weird laughter, like that laughter of relief that it's over. Um I remember several times thanking him for being there for me. I remember him specifically saying to me, because I, of course, knew he had been a former army ranger. I remember him saying, I haven't been that stressed since I was in Afghanistan. And then he also told me the story that he's told a lot of people that at one point he considered, as he put it, borrowing a gun from one of the Capitol policemen, which kind of made me amused because I don't think a policeman's going to give up his gun voluntarily and might, you know, that might cause a problem. And then also talking about how he had a ballpoint pen in his pocket and he intended to use it if he had to, to fight his way out of there. And I later learned, I was a little bit aware of this, but much more aware later that Jason had actually come back into the gallery and come to the rear of the group of us. Otherwise I would have, I think been last in line 
Dan Kildee was somewhere around there too, but I think he was maybe one level up. But um, Jason came back into the gallery to make sure he was the last one in line to make sure we all got out safe. So um, yeah, that was when I put it all together, I was incredibly grateful to him for that. Shortly after 3.30 in the morning on January 7th, lawmakers certified the results of the 2020 presidential election. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for president of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden, Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. The purpose of the joint session having concluded, pursuant to Senate Concurrent Resolution 1, 117th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved. Our coverage of the January 6th joint session and the congressional hearings examining what happened at the Capitol on that day can be found at our website, cspan.org. Stay with C-SPAN for continuing coverage of the investigation into the January 6th attack.